Lord, you are welcome. You are welcome in this room. You are welcome in our lives. You are welcome in this church. You are welcome in this city. You are welcome. We hold open the doors and say, come in, King of glory. Even this day, even this hour, even this moment. Come and speak to us out of the fullness of who you are into the emptiness of our lives. Lord, come with the reality and the truth. Come with your life. Come, Lord, with your word for this day. We welcome you. We open our hearts to you. We honor you, Jesus. Today, with the fruit of our obedience and our submission to listen to you, in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. Amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord and let me add my good morning and happy new year to you all. The first Sunday of 2015, hard to believe another year has come, another year has gone and another year is here and here we are. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Matthew. And we are moving into Matthew chapter 3 this morning in our ongoing study of the Gospel of Matthew, which we are calling Behold Your King. We'll be taking a pause from Matthew next week for our annual theme message. Next week will be my 25th time of bringing a theme message to this congregation For those of you that are newer to Bethel, uh, this is a yearly event where um, the Lord uh, gives to me uh, a word for our congregation for the year, kind of an overarching theme. This past year in 2014, our theme has been a year of growing maturity, and certainly that's been a reality. I think many of us have been experiencing growing maturity, which sometimes comes in painful processes and sometimes comes in pleasant uh, processes, but uh, God is intent on growing us up. And this next year, 2015, will be a year of next week, we'll find out. And so we have to start the torment now, Lynn. All right. Okay, there we go. So hopefully by now you have located uh, in your Bible or a Bible located in front of you. Please pull that out uh, because it would be helpful for you and for me if you were following along with me in the Word today. We are Studying the Gospel of Matthew, and as I'm going to remind you again, when we're studying a gospel, we're not simply studying some sort of historical textbook. It's not just a biography. Um, The Bible says that the gospel actually holds, is a container for the very power and presence of the living God. And so when we come to this word, we're not just interacting with words on a page, We're actually interacting with the living God who has something to speak to us. And he's got something to speak to us today about preparing for the king. And so I'm so grateful for the worship team for kind of leading us right to this place that we're coming to in the word this morning. Matthew 3, 1 to 12. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the desert of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. 
And John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. And people went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan, and confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, you brood of vipers. John was very politically correct. Wonderful advance man here. Who warned you to flee from this coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think that you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees. And every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance. But after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not fit to carry. And he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. All right. Let's take a moment to unpack this scripture together. We'll take the remaining moments of our time this morning to do so. First of all, I want to begin with the voice that is speaking here, the voice of John the Baptist. Now, For those of you that are familiar with some of the biblical history, you may remember that there has been 400 years of silence since the last prophet spoke in the Old Testament and John the Baptist comes on the scene here in the book of Matthew. So 400 years of waiting to hear a voice from heaven. Casey shared this morning powerful testimony about the Lord speaking to her. Imagine a people, the people of God, for 400 years experiencing silence. That's a hard place to be. But now, thundering here, a voice comes from the desert who is in the tradition of Elijah the prophet. Even the clothes that he wears and the place where he is living indicate for us that John the Baptist is coming as the voice of Elijah. As it told us in the final book of the Old Testament in Malachi, in the very last verses of the Old Testament in Malachi 4, 5, and 6. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. So here at the very end of the book in the Old Testament we have the promise of Elijah coming. Well, one like Elijah, one who stands in that tradition of Elijah the prophet calling the people of God back to himself and to one another. This voice of John the Baptist is the forerunner of Christ. In the Gospel of John, chapter 3, verses 28 to 30, we're told this, you yourselves can testify that I said, this is John the Baptist talking about himself, I am not the Messiah, but am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and is now complete. He must become greater. I must become less. 
I am not the Messiah, but I'm sent ahead of him. I'm sent before him. I'm a forerunner. I am bringing the word that the bridegroom is coming. Now, I want you to notice as well in our passage in Matthew 3, where John the Baptist is speaking from. He's speaking from the desert. Now, there was, of course, other probably more significant and important places from a human standpoint where he could be speaking from. He could have been speaking from Jerusalem. He could have been speaking from Rome. He could have been speaking from some place of consequence. But as has been the tradition throughout the scriptures, and if you look throughout the scriptures, you will discover that the voice of the Lord often, in fact, most often comes from outside of the centers of power. If you want to hear the voice of the Lord, it's not necessarily likely that you're going to hear, and this is not a political statement, this is a, in, in a sense, a biblical statement understanding the voice of the Lord is not necessarily going to be coming out of Washington, D.C. And you're not going to necessarily hear the voice of the Lord on Fox News or ABC or NBC or CBS or whoever. You don't necessarily hear the voice of the Lord coming from the corridors of power. You hear and you must listen carefully and attend to the voice of the Lord, which comes frequently from outside of the centers of power. Jesus would take little children and set them in front. It was the voices of women. It was the voices of outcasts. It was the voices of others who were the ones who spoke the word of the Lord to the people of God. And so it is today. Listen carefully outside of the center of power. Now, the desert has been a significant place for the people of God in the past. Think about what it says in Deuteronomy. It says, remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger, then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothes did not wear out. Your feet did not swell during these 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. Deuteronomy 8, 2 through 5. Now remember... We need to hear discipline, not as punishment. Discipline is in discipleship, as in forming and shaping you according to your destiny and calling. And what God is saying and what Moses is reminding them of in Deuteronomy is that God led them through the wilderness to test them, to try them, to find out what was in their heart and to provide for them and to teach them that man does not live by bread alone, and to bring them joy, but it was a process of disciplining them to hear and be attentive to his voice. 
Now, that's not only in the past, but it's also going to be significant to the people of God in the future. If you go to Revelation chapter 12, verse 14, it tells us that the woman was given the two wings of a great eagle so that she might, might fly to the place prepared for her in the wilderness where she would be taken care of for a time, times and a half a time out of the serpent's reach. God will still and still does, even today, provide for his people in the wilderness. In the desert places. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't particularly like the wilderness desert places. We like the places flowing with milk and honey. We want the promised land. But you often have to go through the desert to get to the promised land, right? The wilderness, and God disciplines and teaches us in that place. Now, the message that he brought was a very clear and simple word, which isn't so common or so commonly appreciated in our day and time, 2015, i got to get used to saying that, 2015, Repent. Repent. Which literally means turn around. You've been going one direction and it's time to turn around and go another. Now, first of all, he gives us a couple of why we should repent and then how that process works. And so we're going to unpack that quickly for the rest of our time here. First of all, repent because the kingdom of heaven is near. Right? In those days, verse 1, John the Baptist came preaching in the desert of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Again, in Revelation, it tells us in 11.15, the seventh angel sounded his trumpet, the last of the angels, the last trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven which said, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah, and he will reign forever and ever. Let me give you a news flash which you are not going to read or hear today on the news. America, the United States of America, will not exist forever. Seems like it right now. Man, we're strong, prosperous. We're the greatest country in the world, quote, unquote. Lots of quotes and quotes around that, okay? But here we got, we got, you know, we're not going to exist forever. You've come from many different countries. Some of you have come from nations that no longer exist or no longer exist with the same name they did when you started out there. Or some of them may not exist 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years from now. But the reality is there is no nation, there is no kingdom here on earth that will be alive forever because the kingdom of this world shall become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. And he will reign forever and ever and ever. So therefore, so here's the therefore on there for our hearts this morning is your primary allegiance is not to any kingdom of this world. Your primary allegiance 
is to the kingdom of heaven, which has come near to you. Secondly, repent because the king, Jesus the Christ, is here. Not only is the kingdom of heaven has come near, but the king himself is here. The king is here. Turn around. As John the Baptist speaks and he quotes out of the prophet Isaiah, and I'm going to give you the rest of the Isaiah passage here. It says, a voice of one crying and calling, in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up. Every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level and the rugged places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all of his people will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Now, you know, perhaps you've heard, you know, the, the Romans would have triumphs, and that's where they would actually create roads for the emperor to come into lands that had been conquered, and they would take, and they would, they would literally carve paths through mountains. They would make level roads for the king to come in. Well, the scripture here in Isaiah and John the Baptist is telling us that there is a road that has been prepared for the king of kings and the lord of lords. And he, his road, the king is here and he is walking in his triumph into our lives and into our hearts. And the question for us today is this. Have you pledged your allegiance to the king? As the old preachers used to say, there's a throne in your heart and there's somebody sitting on it it's either you or maybe it's other people maybe it's your mama or your daddy or your wife or your husband or maybe it's your job or maybe it's your reputation or maybe it's your bank book <laughs> well, there's something sitting on that there's something making decisions. There's something around which you are orienting your life. And the invitation today is orient your life around the king. Because the king is here. All right. Now, let's kind of bring it home here. Verse 11, I baptize you with water for repentance. But after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not fit to carry, and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. So the last piece in this passage in terms of preparing for the king, we've heard about the voice, John, the, the place, the desert, the message of repentance. Here's the process of that happening in your and my life is this process of the baptism that Jesus brings. Now I want you to have in your mind for a moment a picture 
because this will help you understand what's going on. When they were um, harvesting in those days, and they would harvest the wheat, and they would bring the grain in, they would take it to an open place, kind of on a, usually a bare place on the top of a hillock. And, and um, it was a place where the wind could blow, and they would take the threshing, the, the fork would be like a, the tines of a fork, and you would beat the wheat, okay, to separate the husk and the seed. And then once that had been separated, then they would take the winnowing fork, throw it up into the air, and the wind would blow the husk part away and leave the grain there. And then all of the husks would be gathered together and burned with fire. Okay? So you got the picture? If you have the picture, say yes. Okay. All right. Just making sure you're still here. All right. So the first part of this process is a sifting and breaking. This will happen in your life and mine. Not just once, but probably several times over the course of a lifetime. Oftentimes, many times, depending on how hard-headed we are, which, you know, I'm among a world-class hardhead. okay? So, there was another one, a world-class hardhead in the scriptures who was known as the Apostle Peter. And Jesus told him this, Simon, Simon, using his old name, Simon, Peter, Satan is asked to sift all of you as wheat, but I've prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail, and when you've turned back, strengthen your brothers. And that, the, the, Satan is asked to sift you like wheat. He's asked to go through this process of, of breaking in your life to break out the wheat and the chaff, to separate that out. Go to Isaiah chapter 30 for a moment. The scripture will not be up here, so you actually have to do a little work here and go to Isaiah 30 for just a moment. Isaiah 30, starting in verse 19. O people of Zion, Isaiah 30, verse 19. O people of Zion who live in Jerusalem, you will weep no more. How gracious he will be when you cry for help. As soon as he hears, he will answer you. Now, verse 20 and 21 are critical here. Although the Lord gives you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, your teachers will be hidden no more. With your own eyes you will see them. Whether you turn to the right or the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. So here's what I would submit to you, that in the sifting and breaking, the process of separating the wheat from the chaff is painful but necessary. And if we cooperate with the process, the tests and trials of life actually become our teachers. The water of adversity and the bread of affliction. I don't know. In my understanding, I would say that those have to do with inner tests and outer tests. Sometimes it's circumstances, difficulties going on in your life externally. Sometimes it's simply the internal pressures of life. But when we're experiencing those pressures, how do we respond? Most of us respond like I do, which is, ouch, take it away. But one of the things that I've discovered over this many years of walking with the Lord and 30 now years of ministry is that if I will pay attention and if I will allow the Lord to do his work in me, I will discover that in the midst of the sifting and breaking, 
those trials and those tests actually have become my teachers. And I can look back. And then like Peter, like Simon, when I have walked through them and come through to the other side, then I will be able to encourage others who are also walking through those hard places. As it says in 2 Corinthians 1, with the comfort we ourselves have received, we can comfort others. But if you've not received comfort, it's hard to give comfort. Right? So, sifting and breaking is the first step of this baptism of Jesus. Then the second step is this wind that blows that separates the wheat and the chaff. Now, wind in Scripture always has a couple of specific connotations. The first connotation is the wind is that of life. Actually, the Old Testament word for spirit and wind and breath is the same word. It's the very same word, the ruach of God. Then he said to me in Ezekiel, 37, you know, the dry bones and the picture of the dry bones. You've perhaps heard of that scripture. You've heard the song, them bones, them bones, them dry bones. At the end of the point, when the, when the bones have come together, the spirit of the Lord speaks to Ezekiel, the prophet, and says, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man. Say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come, breath from the four winds and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me and breath entered them and they came to life and stood on their feet a vast army. So it is with your and my life. We are walking dead until we receive the breath of his life in us, breathing. Just as he did to Adam at creation. Just as he's saying to Ezekiel here in recreation. So he comes to us to bring life. And Jesus' baptism is a baptism of life. It's also a baptism of power. This wind speaks of his power in John chapter 3 verse 8. When Nicodemus comes to him and is trying to figure out this piece about being born again. And then at the end of that conversation... Jesus says, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from and where, or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. And I've said it many times in this house, and I will say it again this morning. The Holy Spirit moves the way he likes, and he likes the way he moves. We all want to have a tame God. But as in the immortal words of C.S. Lewis and In the Chronicles of Narnia, you know, Aslan is not a tame lion. God is not a tame lion. He's not somebody that you kind of stick on the dashboard of your car. He's not something that can be contained. That's why idolatry in the Old Testament, the idolatry of of, of actually having some graven, made thing to represent God. How could God possibly be contained in that? How do we expect that God could possibly be contained in our little small boxes? So if you want to prepare for the king, one of the things that you need to recognize right up front is your life is not your own. And you do not have Control over it, even if you think you do. 
And for those of us that like control, that is a really hard word. But the invitation this morning is, let the wind blow. Let the Spirit of God move in your life. We were just singing it. I don't remember how the words went. Okay, that was really good, wasn't it? All right. We want more of you, more of you, more of you. Really? If you want more of him, there's going to be less of you. That's what John the Baptist said. He's got to increase. I got to decrease. Secondly, there's fire. Here comes the fire. So the chaff has been separated from the wheat. The power of the spirit is blowing. His life is moving. And then comes the fire. Fire in the scripture speaks of revelation as it did with Moses in Exodus chapter 3-2. An angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire within a bush. And Moses saw that the bush was on fire but did not burn up. Fire always speaks of that revelation of God. And when the fire of God begins to work in your life, it begins to bring revelation of his purposes and plans and promises and all the things that he's got in mind for your life and for our life together and for this world. And it's also the fire of purification, as it says in Zechariah chapter 13, 8 and 9, in the whole land declares the Lord, two-thirds will be struck down and perish, yet one-third will be left in it. This third I will put into the fire. I will refine them like silver and test them like gold, and they will call on my name, and I will answer them, and I will say they are my people, and they will say, the Lord is our God. Zechariah 13, 8 and 9. I will refine them like silver and like gold. So here, I've said this before as well, but let's hear it again afresh this morning in this new year, 2015. The fire will destroy what it cannot purify, and it will purify what it cannot destroy. Did you get that? The fire will destroy what it cannot purify and purify what it cannot destroy. That's the way God works in our lives, like a fire. There's things in our lives, there's things in, throughout my walking with the Lord, there's been things that have needed to come into the fire in order for them to burn up and go away. Attitudes and actions and ways of thinking and perspectives and mindsets and all kinds of different stuff that have been burned up. And there's other things that he has simply chosen to purify in my life through the process of that fire. So here's the invitation this morning. As we come to a close, the invitation is this. Here's, I love this. I ran across this in my study this week. A way of defining repentance that I'd never heard it put quite this way before, and I love this. So listen carefully to this. This is the invitation today. This is the invitation of repentance. This is the invitation to prepare for the king. And the invitation is this. Come to the king who is coming to you. Come to the king who is coming to you. With that, there's going to be some movements that are going to have to happen in your life. One is you're going to have to move from being centered in yourself to being centered in Christ. A second movement that's going to need to happen is from control to surrender. A third movement that's going to need to take place is from performance to obedience. Fourthly, from hypocrisy to integrity. 
And finally, from judgment to mercy. These are some movements that will happen in your life when you come to the king. You'll move from being centered in yourself to centered in him. It's a whole new orientation. From controlling your own life to surrendering and submitting to him. From a performance mentality, what do I have to do to be pleasing to God, to an obedience which says, God, I'm already pleasing to you. How can I simply walk out who I am consistent, which is the hypocrisy to integrity. How do I walk in consistency with who I am as your child? And moving from judgment and judgmentalism to mercy where we recognize that it is only his grace in us. Acts 17, 30 and 31, the Apostle Paul, in his sermon there, says in the past God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands people, all people, say all. Say all. All. Say that means me. That means me. me. He commands all people to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed, and that man is Jesus. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. Well, there's no one within the sound of my voice this morning that can any longer claim ignorance. When God spoke to Casey all those years ago, not all that many, actually, 12 years ago, okay, how old is she now? Okay, wait, no, we won't say that. She's still young. (laughs) When God spoke to her, she was still in ignorance, still looking. We have heard a message this morning that tells us, so there's no ignorance here. And that's the message we've been given to share with others. Is this message of repentance, this call, come to the king, he's coming to you. The kingdom of heaven has come near, the king, Jesus Christ, is here. So as we begin this new year together, this is a perfect way to start afresh in a new year. If one of those movements caught your eye this morning, maybe you've been centered in self and you need to move over to be centered in Christ. Maybe you've been walking in control and you need fresh place of surrender. You've been walking in performance and need to walk into obedience. You've been living in the place of hypocrisy and you want to walk into integrity or judgment upon yourself and others and you want to walk into a place of mercy if there's something that's spoken to you this morning if there's some chaff that needs to get blown and fired up in the fire of his presence I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet and I'm going to simply open the altar this morning and I know I need to be here this morning and maybe there's some others that you feel like you want to join me here And then I will give a a benediction in a few moments. So we're not quite done. We just want to respond to the word of the Lord this morning. Thank you for being present and listening and hearing and responding today. And if the Lord has spoken to you and you need to respond today, there's nothing magical about the altar, but it is a place of connection and it's a point 
or sometimes just moving your body physically. And if you can, if you want to kneel, you can, whatever that is, but point of contact. Would you make that point today? Would you come? Come on, there's a win. Come on, open your hands. Just open your hands, if you would. Lord Jesus, here in this house, our prayer and our desire is that you, the baptizer, would come and would baptize us afresh, each individual, but also corporately, Lord, that you would come with your wind, with your rain, and with your fire. Jesus, as we begin this new year together, our hearts are open, Lord God, to everything that you want to do in us. We know that you love us too much to leave us the way we are. We know, Lord God, that in fact it is your desire to transform us so that, Lord, we might walk into the fullness of the destiny and calling you have for each of us and for this house together. So Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ, the Son, Father God, come in all of your fullness into this place and into our hearts, into our lives. And may we be a temple of your spirit that you have full control in. Help us to make those movements this year. Help us to continue to grow in maturity because we're not done yet. 2014 is done, the year of growing maturity, but we're not done growing in maturity yet. So keep growing us, Lord. Help us, Lord. Help us. And now with hands open, I pray that you would be filled afresh this very day at the beginning of this brand new year. May you be filled with the immeasurable love of God the Father, with the irresistible mercy and grace of Jesus Christ the Son, with the inexhaustible strength and power, comfort and hope of the Holy Spirit be with you and yours as you go from this house to your house, sent to make disciples of all nations. Go! with the banner of his favor over your lives. And until we gather again, either in this house or in our eternal home, I pray that his love and goodness and mercy will chase you down every day of your life. Be blessed, people of God, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Go in his grace.